listening to the People's Poetry Podcast with me, Jimmy Bowman. Oi, oi, you lucky people. Welcome to People's Poetry Podcast. This is Series 8, Episode 4. This is the poetry and spoken word podcast that follows me, Jimmy Bowman, a teacher and poet myself, as I wander the UK to chat to a range of poets and explore the UK's love affair with poetry. Now, this podcast is not just for those who are already into poetry. Our mission, my mission, is to show you that there is poetry for all walks of life and there is something out there written for you. This episode's open mic superstar is Stephen Langstaff with a poem about Hull City's winning goal at the 2008 playoff final at Wembley. And as a Millwall fan who's been to many a playoff final, let me tell you all, I can't stress just how huge that goal must have been. This is their piece called 338. Sun streaking through train windows early on a May Saturday morning. Crisp and thin, anything you hit could go in. We paid a fortune for first class on the way back, not through choice but lack thereof. Either way, we celebrate, or at least travel, like kings. All back two hours. But for now, plough on to paint the capital amber with strokes of black. A tight affair fraught in places. Dad bet on them just in case. Cagey with moments of promise, but looking ever more destined to produce the usual fruitless 45. And then, at 3.38pm, searching ball to marauding boy with chest puffed out, spots a bleach bonce advancing or heard an insistent yell, Picked him out, set him up, vital cross to perfect foot. You couldn't write it, a goal to the good. Not just good, the best we'd seen. Delirium, disbelief, don't you dare bloody concede. A far cry from long afternoons at Boothbury, locked out languishing in Division 3. The second half goes, the referee blows. Me and Andy just look at each other and laugh. What else is there to do? No booze in first class to thwart the lout, so we celebrate with minute coffees and some snack or other. It's the night after that we hit the town. Down Priniav to make up lost time when a chant raises L in the bar we're in. Dino, arms aloft, homegrown hero. Come out to show he's one of our own. We beat our chests and we chant his name whilst pint after pint gets thrust his way. And some dare say it's just a game. But he'll never pay for a drink again. This episode's featured guest is a People's Poetry Podcast gem the legend that is Steve Head. Now, we mentioned it a few times, but Steve is one of those brilliant poets that I've been manacled together with through doing the podcast and the Open Collab project. So I've wanted to sit down and chat with him for a long time. We spoke about Steve's wicked collection, blueprints, the allure of the suburbs, working through difficult relationships, and, you know, are generally a bit silly in places, the pair of us. It was a lot of fun. So I hope you enjoy this as much as I enjoyed recording it. This episode, I'm joined by the, I'm going to call him legendary because I think you're a legend, Steve Head. <laughs> well, it started off well, thanks, mate. <laughs> not sure uh, that I deserve that. But no, you are it. like, there's, there's, I say it a lot on the podcast. There's a, a group of poets that I have 
met solely through doing this and I class even though I haven't actually met you in the flesh and this is probably the first time we've actually spoke face to face like see each other I feel mm. like we've spoke for quite a while and we met um we met through the open collab didn't we exactly yes mate yeah yeah um yeah our poems were joined together in uh, a wonderful union yeah unexpectedly it was great we both sort of wrote about similar themes didn't we yes yeah. um like uh growing up in hometowns and nostalgia for where we're from and yeah it fit really nicely together it was yeah it was great it was lovely yeah. to come together like that I mean, Charlie and Jake, they did a job there on, on pairing the poems because I felt like, yeah, like what you said, they they were exactly the same sort of uh, themes, but also like our delivery, I think, was quite similar. So it just seemed to work as a piece. I feel like we're, we've both got an inner Mike Skinner when we deliver poetry. I think so, mate. I think it's the start of a beautiful bromance, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how have you been? You're, you're what I call one of our international poets because you are in France, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I'm good, mate. Yeah. Um, I'm yeah happy, happy here, but been missing the UK because I, it was hard to get there for a past couple of years with everything that happened. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I got to go there recently. So that was, that was lovely. Really nice to see, see family and, and some friends again. I had to uh, completely change my, my professional life because I, I was a tour guide before. And then for two years, there were just, there was nobody to give tours to. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to change that. So I became a barista. So I'm just going through all of the most hipster jobs possible and ticking uh, <laughs> off a list. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm loving that. It's great. I've got my latte art down. Doesn't look like ghost vomit anymore. So it yeah. actually looks like things now. It's um, yeah, I could do flowers and stuff. So I'm yeah, good. Really it's, it's a good skill to have. I, I was a barista for a, a short time, but I only managed the love heart. I can't uh, do any, I can't do any more than a love heart. It's the classic, mate. That's all you need, really. Obviously. Yeah, the feather blew my mind. It's just the shaking of the milk. I don't know how anyone can get it to look so pristine, but there you go. You'll have to teach me. Wizardry. That's all it is, mate. So, yeah, we talked about the Open Collab. It was your poem, In the Long Grass, and it was my poem, Flying Ants. And we, we've sort of said it already, but, you know, you, a lot of the themes that you write about uh, in your book as well that we're going to talk about called Blueprints are very similar to mine. Mm. But before we sort of drill down into your work, I've read, I mean, what I really liked about your book, actually, is you had a section about, you know, why you write poetry. I thought that was a nice touch um, yeah. because poetry is very personal. And sometimes when you're reading people's work, you, you do wonder, well, where's this come from or why are they concentrating on those things? And I think you answered some of those questions. And the mm. question I usually open up with is when were you first aware of poetry, not necessarily the first poem you wrote because I know you speak about that and it'd be cool to hear you speak about that it was a poem for your granddad wasn't it you, you said in the book yeah first, exactly first poem you remember writing but was there a point before that that you can pinpoint where you became like aware of poetry no weirdly I would say that I became more aware of it after that like the the the, the poem from my granddad was just sort of this or I don't know like I had to describe just sort of like a spontaneous thing that happened when I was very young um, but I haven't, I don't think I had really been exposed to any poetry or anything before that. Um, I got into it later on during my adolescence, really. Um, yeah. it was, um, it was kind of more inspired by my local, local music scene and mm -hmm. my friends that were in bands. Um, my, uh, my brother-in-law, who's my best, one of my best friends, 
he's um he was in a band that I followed everywhere and I loved his lyrics I even got one of them tattooed on my on my arm as my first tattoo nice and um listen there was another band in my local area called enter shikari who made it big now probably yeah yeah heard of them um just the the lyrics that were coming from from those bands really i, I really loved them i found them really interesting and um it for me it was like poetry i loved it you know i would i would get the cds and i would read all of the, the inner sleeves and stuff and just sort of study the poetry study the, the lyrics and i loved it and at the same sort of time oddly enough <laughs> Friend, my, my friends and I that were in that music scene, we started having little like, rap battles after the after the gigs, just for yeah. a bit of fun. I don't know, it just it was a thing for a while. I think Eight Mile came out and everyone went a bit sort of rap battly for a while. Yeah, yeah. And it, it was it was just a laugh. It was stupid. It was really really dumb stuff. But we, we loved it. You know, we would like sit there behind the youth group after the gig, and someone would put their headlights on on their Nissan Micro, and we'd stand <laughs> in it and we think we're all gangster and saying this ridiculous sort of spontaneous lyrics that we were coming up with and yeah i don't know i think it just got a, got a bit of a a kick from that people seem to enjoy you know some of the the jibes yeah. we're coming out with and just the, the rhymes and it, it just yeah it got to me I, I enjoyed it and so it came from there it seems like a common route in music it's definitely my route in i've said it before like paul weller and his his lyrics inspired me i've also brought this up before on the podcast but only once but as you've mentioned rap battles do you remember a website called Gold Mike? I, I definitely do, mate. And I remember you bring it up before. And there, there's another one. <laughs> yes. I remember listening to the podcast and I remember you talking about that. And that was a nostalgia kick. And there was another one. And I can't remember. Oh, he was, um, there was like a, what's his name? Mark something or other. He was a rap battling teacher, English oh, teacher. Mark Grist. Yes, Mark Grist. Thank you. Mark yeah, Grist. yeah, yeah, yeah. He did. Um, Legend. He used to do Don't Flop. Don't flop. That's the one I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was obsessed with don't flop for a while. Definitely, like uh, I I would never have the balls to get up and do something like that. But um, I, I was in awe of them. Really, just loved it. He it was, was like, am- he was amazing because he he literally broke the mold. You'd have like all of these sort of wily or skeptic characters on there who were amazing, and then mm-hmm. he'd turn up in his suit and he looked like an English teacher and he was an English teacher. But Absolute he, badass. Yeah, he yeah. used to he used to win quite a lot of them as well. Oh, he was amazing. Yeah, because yeah. he just. Yeah, he sort of throws you off with the suit and everything. You think, oh, what's he going to rap about? And then he's he's like proper gangster when it comes out. It's yeah, he, he was great. He was. He's he's still got. I've got his book somewhere. I think it's called Rogue Rogue Teacher. But he's he's okay. still making videos. I he should be someone I should get on really as a fellow English teacher as well. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That would be, yeah. <laughs> uh, amazing that you've heard of Goldmite because I, I think it was Rory Aaron. I brought it up and he he didn't yes. remember it, but it was like a weird like you typed your battles and then people read both of them and voted it's yeah. such a like on paper or when you say it out loud like that like, it sounds like a really odd thing to do like it like it shouldn't work but yeah, yeah it, 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 it did work yeah, yeah yeah i guess it's the equivalent of like a silent disco and slam poetry like put yes. together yeah we should, bring, we should bring it back we should bring it back i love it mate yeah copyright that straight away <laughs> so yeah you i mean it's interesting that you've what with your granddad passing and stuff like that you wrote a poem and you weren't really interested in it that seems mm. like a, a, an interesting thing to do especially as a younger person I mean I remember writing poetry young but it was never in response to something you know traumatic as that sort of is in your earlier life I've thought about it a lot uh, when I wrote the introduction for my book and stuff um, and listening to your podcasts and hearing repeatedly the question you know, when did you get into when did mm. you first 
become aware of poetry made me really think about it and it is really I honestly I have, I have no real sort of answer to it it's it's really odd I feel like I really didn't have any kind of particular I mean when I wrote this poem I was 10 or 11 yeah I think yeah sort of between those ages and um I really wasn't into anything like poetry at that point I was just too young really to be sort of thinking about it um and I don't know it must have just been like a an emotional reaction that needed a an outlet and maybe yeah I don't know it's it's, it's strange that that that's what I chose but uh, I guess it must have helped me at the time and yeah I mean it's it's definitely one of the sort of purest sort of reactions I've heard or root into poetry if you like <laughs> you know like yeah. just this need to get your emotions on paper and we speak about it a lot poets yeah. about how writing is sort of you know you taking ownership over traumatic experiences and like that but for a 10, 11 year old, it's an impressive, <coughs> impressive route to go down. So hats uh, off yeah. to you. Well, thank you, mate. <laughs> the other thing you speak about in the sort of opening of your book is obsessive compulsive disorder. And I thought I've got to, I've got to talk to you about it because A, in eight series, I've never had that conversation. So it's always good to bring up sort of new new things like this that I'm I don't know much about obsessive compulsive disorder but I yeah. know more recently there's been like some more media campaigns about it um because growing up it did used to be not an insult as such but something you'd say if someone was being particular you'd sort of throw that out there wouldn't you and be like mm, oh, yeah you're, you're being a bit OCD you're so OCD and it's only because I've got a friend from uh, my last job before I was teaching and she's got OCD and she, you know she took great offense to that and it was only when she sat down and talks me through it I was like wow there's actually a lot to this isn't there how how have mm. you found that affected or has affected like your poetry and the stuff that you write has it had any effect in in the way you write poetry um I don't think that it really worked its way into into my writing like I didn't um you know it wasn't like I had to use particular words or a certain number of words otherwise something mm. bad that. but like that uh, luckily like poetry remained separate from that for some some reason um i think it just it was the reason why i wrote a lot of poetry um but not it didn't really have like a negative effect on it yeah like it was uh, luckily i had that kind of that was that was separate i had that as like something that i could use to to feel better um mm -hmm. to try and sort of deal with the ocd um but um yeah definitely it was yeah, yeah. Uh, at the very beginning, it was it was just a way of um, of trying to understand my. I mean, it took a long time for me to understand to understand what was going on in my head at all. Like, I, when you first when it sort of first kicks in, something like that, you you really don't you don't get it at all. You have no idea like why one day you were fine. You were just sort of you know stressed about the usual things, and then something kicks in, and then all of a sudden you're you're sort of touching a wall a certain number of times or, mm. or like coughing a certain number of times or, or you know obviously it's very it's very vast there's so many different ways that it manifests but for me it was all about about numbers it all it mainly sort of kicked in when when my grandma granddad died uh at the exact same time I started secondary school which was far away from home um and what else was going on there was all sorts of stuff going on at that time so it was like a big shake up emotionally yeah and, um and like way more stress than i'd had in the past and um yeah all of a sudden i just sort of had these things i had to do 
Um, and for, it, it wasn't like literally voices I could hear in my head, but it was my own thoughts telling me, if you don't do these things, uh, you know, something bad's going to happen to your dad working in London or, you know, your mum, she'll be driving the car. And, you know, so, so I had to do these things. And, and when I did them, I sort of had this sort of temporary uh, relief, you know, last for half an hour, an hour, and then I'd have something else to do. Mm. And, um, so that's super confusing when that first kicks in, especially yeah. when you're 11, you're like, what, what the hell's going on? <laughs> what happened to me? And um, I guess it was shortly after that that I was like, yeah, I'll start writing about this maybe. And um, at the beginning, I don't think I really put it in poetry. It was more just sort of writing down what was going on. And then mm. maybe the older I got, because it, it lasted from when I was 11 right through until sort of like full on through until I was about 25 maybe so a long long old time and i still have it now but it's vastly reduced like yeah. I somehow like got got a grip on it but like maybe yeah sort of when i was about 15 16 i started trying to like write song lyrics and poetry and stuff to not just about that because obviously girls were around at the same time so <laughs> mainly writing about that and yeah. um but also but yeah like the ocd as well just trying to figure it out and um I didn't. <laughs> I needed needed some help with that. Yeah, yeah. See a lot, a lot of counselors and stuff that gave me the info I needed. But but definitely as like a coping mechanism, it was poetry was very useful. Yeah, I mean, kind of makes sense, I guess, especially poetry of all the forms of literature because it is so lawless and there there is a lack mm. of rules. Perhaps because you know what you were experiencing with the OCD was quite stressful because elements of your life became so regimental. I guess. Poetry does seem like a great form of escapism from that stress that you were under. I, I hadn't considered that, but that is a hundred percent what it is. Yeah, you're right. Definitely, it's yeah. yeah. It was the freedom to yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. To, to write as I liked. The suburbs and London suburbs, obviously, and like a sense of place is quite prominent in your work, and I think that's mm. why I was so drawn to it when I heard in the long grass, because there were so many crossover points. It's one of those poems that you've written about a certain place, and when I heard you reciting it it matched places that i'd grown up but particularly the suburbs what for you what why do you find the suburbs so interesting because a lot of people write about the city or they'll write about you know rural life of the countryside but the suburbs is that sort of weird limbo that in between land so mm. just you know from one suburban rat if you like to another what what is it about <laughs> the suburbs that you that you find so inspiring i guess because they can be pretty mundane in in places yeah um is a really good question um i don't exactly know i think it's maybe something to do with being in between being like on the edge of two different things you're not in the country you're not in the city you're in this sort of like odd limbo between the two where mm. it's like a mix of both it's very particular living in the suburbs like it's it's very different to living either in the country or in the city you kind of have a bit of the best of both and the worst of both mm. and I think maybe just that like that thing of sort of being in between and being a bit strange and on the boundaries of both like mate, I don't know I find that kind of appealing maybe it appealed to me personality wise maybe it fits sort of with who I felt I was at, at that time and who I've, well, I've always sort of considered myself a little bit I haven't been able to pin down exactly the sort of person I am. So I yeah, yeah. appeal to me. I don't know, really. I, it, it's just sort of like a, there's, I think there's always been this kind of vibe around suburban, so, so suburban life. 
and I don't know it mystifies me I find it really interesting it appealed to me for a long time now I live more in the city and I, I like that but when I was sort of uh, adolescent and into my 20s I there was something I really enjoyed about living in the suburbs and I'm, I'm, it was just sort of um, maybe I enjoyed that feeling of, sort of feeling a bit lost feeling a bit stuck mm. you know it's it's really that's great fodder for being you know I was a proper emo when I was that sort of <laughs> age and you know like that's the time when you want to kind of feel yeah things are tough here I'm in the suburbs I'm going nowhere you know what I mean it's great <laughs> yeah, for poetry yeah. and stuff like yeah. it's there's sort of like a weird romanticism to it in a way I think it's um, the per- it's the perfect backdrop for you know the years where you come yes. of age as well because you don't quite know who you are I would argue even in your mm. 20s you still are figuring oh, yeah. out you know what sort of person you are where you're going my I mate think... my, my adolescence lasted until i was about 33 yeah um, a proper long one yeah 20s were a right mess Probably yeah even worse than my like teenage years i would say i i agree I, I i'm not a big fan of the 20s if there's any 20 year olds listening it gets better it does i think you're right i, I think the other reason i always like the suburbs is don't get me wrong i love london and i love living so close to the city but there's something bittersweet but more on the sweet end of bittersweet about escaping through this portal back to the suburbs like you, you if the city gets too much you can sort of just park mm. it and go back it's like a little bubble in a way isn't it that you can sort of run off into very um, much so and it's yeah, not definitely. it's not as intense it's like you said there's that sort of almost stillness or sort of like meandering vibe to it's the like there's like a yeah like you said like a pleasing anesthesia to it it's sort of mm. dull and numbing but like in it can be in a good way as well like, yeah yeah definitely yeah it's just familiar and yeah um, yeah no I definitely I mean I think I romanticize a lot of stuff but I definitely romanticized that life for but I, but I felt it as well you know I mean? yeah yeah I, I felt proud of my little town and you know I think it, there's some, yeah there's that as well there's like people you know most people have a sort of pride about where they're, they're from and I think maybe when it's a smaller town it's it's almost easier to develop that that pride because it's really small it's really intimate a lot of people know each other like it's it's easier to develop like a real sense of pride about somewhere that's more intimately yours you know mm-hmm. as opposed to like a huge city which belongs to so many other people has so many different faces and different personalities like my little town it's like this you know yeah and i love it because it's like that so it's i I don't know if i'm it's coming across exactly no yeah that makes total sense to me like this almost like the the truest version of community that you're going to get in the modern age really the suburb because rural life is probably so remote that you don't really feel that connected city Mm. life although there are you know millions of people as you say there they've all got a claim to that part of the town and people moan constantly about cities about how it's my my old man always says oh it's not my london anymore <laughs> my, my london's gone it's changed too much and <laughs> and that's always going to happen with cities because because you said this it's so densely populated and there's buildings going up all the time and that's yeah. true that's that's also quite some, something i quite like about where i'm from is that like even though i've not been there for 10 years if I go back there now, I know that the Greg's Bakery will be in the same place. I know <laughs> that the Pound Stretcher will be probably in the same place. Maybe a little like, lick of paint or something. But like, there's just this really, yeah, like reassuring, like slowness to the whole thing. Mm. It's, it's just, it stays pretty much the same, you know. It's, 
the That's... same same faces in the same pubs as well probably yeah exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely. yeah definitely right in uh we've spoke about you know it, it almost was a bit of a raft uh amongst i think you described it as like chemicals in your in the, the like lots of booze and that growing up as as any good suburban should should be doing mm-hmm. um but obviously now now you're in france so i wondered sort of if because the French are, you know, a literary powerhouse, aren't they? You, you must have been exposed to some amazing stuff having moved there. It's quite a cultural jump, I'd say, from like suburban England to to France. I, I mean, I, I don't know what part of France you're in. And even if you told me, I'm not that familiar with France. But... Oh, it's, it's easy. I'm, I'm just on the edge of Paris. Oh, there I'm you go. On the edge of Paris. Yeah. The one place I do know. So <laughs> I, I was going to ask, like, do you think that it's had any effect in your writing? either you know not necessarily you've become a francophile and you're you're now trying to trying to do some sort of classically french stuff but perhaps may maybe it's made you more reflective of where you grew up from like do you find yourself revisiting places mentally more or sort of trying to recall past events more because you're further away from it spot on yeah Yeah. exactly yeah yeah 100 mate yeah definitely it's um i would say that I am less influenced by what's around me here. Not that there's, I mean, like you say, there's a world of stuff that I could be into. And there's a big, there's some really great spoken word stuff in France as well, mm. in, in French. Like this is, a, it's a big deal here. Like very common for, for like bands to like, like, like well-known bands to, to be sort of, to do a lot of spoken word music and stuff. Like but it's not really, it's been the opposite. Like, like you say, I've been, the fact of being, far away from well it's not home anymore but what was home before um it's reinforced um yeah sort of like i'm so much more into uk poetry now than i was when i was in the uk yeah um like massively like i have this massive nostalgia for for my my previous home and um and yeah like you say like mentally like like all I write about at the moment is is yeah like that sense of of place of my old town and I, I mean that's that's what I'm hoping to try and put together is like a, another collection just a hundred like just totally about about that being in another place but like sort of also being in yeah like being in one place but also like mentally almost being in another place still like I'm, I'm so so attached to that old, to the town that I'm from that it informs so much of what I'm writing, so much of what I'm thinking. Um, and it's it's not that I want to be there necessarily. It's like there's this version of it in my head mm. that I'm sort of sort of like clinging on to, like romanticizing. But it really is really important to me and it means a lot to me. And it's like it's made me very much who I am. I guess maybe the fact of being in a completely different country, it's almost like a shield around me. Like I want to remain. You know, like I, I maybe I'm not sure if you can tell, but my friends, my English friends can. I, I have this like, weird twang to my English accent now. I don't know. There's little French bits that creep in from time to time, and um, I don't mind. But there's, it's really important to me that I retain my my like my English identity. You know, my, mm. my identity of being from the town that I'm from in Hertfordshire. Like all of that is really important to me. And so maybe this sort of like meant like you know like mental journeying back to the streets that I used to go around with my mates or my butt on our bikes and stuff like it's um yeah it's a way of 
keeping in touch with that because I don't want to forget it. I don't want to, you know, I could be here indefinitely. I mean, I'm probably going to spend the rest of my life living here. Yeah. So, um, but it's really important to me that that previous life remains part of who I am. So yeah, whether that's through just sort of wandering back there in my mind or, or, or writing, um, I really, it's, that's really, yeah, very significant to me. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good point. I mean, it sounds like you're writing almost to, to keep it alive, as you said, because mm. I never really considered that. But now I think about it, I mean, Australia is the one I hear the most. A lot of people sort of emigrate from England to Australia and then they they just completely lose, like even down to their accents. Like mm. I had a friend, she moved there after we did our A-levels. So you'd think her accent would have been established, but when yeah. she, she very rarely comes over, but when she does, she's completely Aussie sounding now. And it, <laughs> it, freak, it freaks me out so much because I'm... I could never imagine speaking any other way than this sort of Cockney gruff. And for me, that my accent is a massive part of my identity. Oh, yeah. Like Very you much so. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's strange because it, it's so, I don't even notice it. But um, I, it's, even down to like syntax and word order, like mm. I'll, uh, maybe you'll listen back to this and you'll think, oh, that was a weird way to say that sentence, Steve. And it will be because of the, <laughs> because I'm hearing it in French constantly. So I've got like these two languages side by side in my head. And, um, I constantly sort of flow into each other so because the french they say you know they put their words in a completely different order yeah how they phrase these and um and often that sort of just seeps into the when i'm speaking english plus i have this thing oh, it's like um like a verbal tick in france often like just when they're thinking about something you have the uh, like the, uh, yeah yeah and I, I do that all the time and if when i go back to see my mates in the uk i, I mean it's just endless mockery it's just like <laughs> Uh, you want a pint Steve uh, you know <laughs> and I can't I do anything it, about it I call that the Arsene Wenger because he used yeah. to do that like, yeah. didn't he? exactly that's yeah perfect. yeah yeah that's perfect yeah I also learned last night you were talking about French ordering words differently um, I mean this is totally irrelevant but as you brought it up um, yeah I was out with a French person last night and she I said to her I'm going to go and see uh, the chili peppers uh, mm. in a couple of weeks and she was like who, who is this and I was like uh, <laughs> I was like the red hot chili peppers she went ah oh, she was like in France I won't I won't do the terrible accent again but she was like in France we just call them the red hot yeah like that's so the weird red hot. Uh, yeah yeah, yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> but yeah that blew my mind but yeah I guess I guess that would have a, an effect on the way you order your English words if you're surrounded in French all the time man yeah. let's yeah, uh yeah. let's talk about some poems from uh blueprints then which is uh, your is it your debut collection your first collection that you put out yeah. yeah yeah I mean I bought it a while ago I think when we when we started swapping poems for for a brief period before madness of life took over I think I bought it then and a message you saying oh this is amazing I love it if no one or if people listening haven't heard of it or haven't read it how would you describe this collection um so it was I wanted to I've, I have a few ideas for different collections in my head poems that I've written and um and this one was I wanted to start with the like the very first ones that I wrote when I was younger um so yeah sort of mainly uh, in my teenage years through to sort of mid-20s um like when I first sort of started going with poetry and um, I felt like it was yeah maybe a good idea to start with that chronologically obviously but also just because even if I maybe prefer what I write now these poems there's certainly poems in this book that I really 
still I'm very proud of and they definitely inform what I do now so it just mm. sort of made sense to me to get that get this one out there um and it very it's like a really significant point in my life definitely uh, the reason why I started writing poetry and writing prose and stuff and um and like a massively yeah um formative transformative part of my life so um as as for most people you know adolescence and early 20s it is but it was it was huge so this book really it's um it's a collection of those poems it's sort of it's like vaguely uh a logic to it like a chronological logic to it there's it kind of starts off uh, I've, I've had two big relationships in my life the one that i'm currently in with my wife and my first sort of big love when i was um 18 lasted about two years um and when that ended like sh just shit hit the fan like i just you know i was um, i had no idea what was going on for the end of a first big love affair like most people you know it's um turns everything upside down yeah. and um yeah so the poetry came just sort of like falling out of me and um this book kind of begins at that point um it begins right at the very end of that relationship and kind of yeah it's sort of little sort of the poems that follow are all written about different subjects but it's kind of like the collapse of the stability of my life at that point and then like falling there's lots of poems about just you know trying to get over this huge loss and in the, all the kind of different stupid ways that that we tend to turn to drinking too much being a bit of an asshole and sleeping mm. around and all, all of those classic things so it's it's about that and at the same time um in the background to all of that there was um there was a huge kind of family trauma I guess you could call it so so um my my granddad who died when I was younger my grandma lived uh, for about 10 years after that and um when in my early 20s she passed away and um they they had a house in the Isle of Wight um which was like like a second home to to everybody in my family like we would go down there sort of three four times a year and spend all our holidays there like really important spiritual place and I would go there when relationships didn't work out and stuff like it was the place I would I would go to get away from home to be in mm. another home and, and feel like an incredibly important place you know um when my grandma passed away in my early 20s like there was this big deal about what to do with the house and there was half my, 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 uh, my it's my mother's side um and on, on her side she has lots of brothers and sisters so it's, it's about seven of them and there was this huge deal about whether to keep it or whether to sell it and have the money and it sort of it split the family in two and there was this huge nightmare arguments going on people blaming people and make you know sort of it was it was awful and um and then that's so that's was all going on in the background to me having broken up with this love of my life and every basically everything that at one point felt sort of stable and and um like normal in my life but it all sort of fell out from under me and this mm. book is all, all about around that, that sort of period you know I didn't even have this this place where I could get away from all of that shit that, like it was it was gone it was, yeah. it was sold, sold off and um so I had basically just for you know for a long time I was just uh certainly not 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 the best version of myself uh, that I could possibly have been you know I was a real real arsehole really sort of lost and um yeah uh, so this book is it's an attempt to sort of to try and make sense of that also I guess in a way to try and explain a little bit why I was that way to people I, I'm lucky to have fantastically 
great family and amazing friends that, that, that stuck by me through through this time when I wasn't a particularly great person to be around. And so I guess maybe in a way it was, you know, a way to sort of, I wanted to try and make it very clear to them that, you know, this, this was why I was like that. Mm. So an, an apology and explanation, I guess, in a way. Yeah, I think, I think obviously some of the themes that you've mentioned there, certainly things that I wrote down, you know, like loss, love and lust and, and the sort of drink element to it. But even though you're writing about some of those things, topics that are quite heavy and as you said sometimes there there are hints that you've done things perhaps you weren't proud of there was still throughout all of the poems I thought this they harbored this sort of innocence almost so you could tell that these actions weren't the person that perhaps you were as you said yeah Uh, and I think that really come across in them and a sense of place like no matter what theme you're talking about you felt like rooted in this sort of this place you grew up as well throughout Mm. the the book so I, I obviously I enjoyed that side Thank of it you. cheers mate. I've picked up a couple of poems as I as I usually do and wondered uh I've scribbled down some of the, the killer lines that I enjoyed uh, okay. and just yeah if you can remember anything about you know writing those poems or what mm. they're about because I think I you know if I was listening to this podcast and I hadn't heard of Steve Head and I heard him talk about a couple of his poems I would go and buy the book that's my thought process behind asking poets about specific <laughs> poems anyway just in case anyone was wondering but yeah and uh, first yeah. one I was going to bring up was uh Gumshoe which I think is a very catchy name for a poem uh, yeah. and what was the line in it I really enjoyed the memory of your voice was the reason my heart was still beating that was a killer line yeah very I I, I love I love poems that mention sort of the memory of voice because you you usually remember objects or places or locations but I feel like voice is something that's very easy to forget but also something that if you remember a voice it literally stays with you for for life sometimes in like a you're almost haunted by by voices sometimes Mm. so yeah I enjoy anything about that but yeah the memory of your voice was the reason my heart was still beating I thought it was very poignant Thank you, appreciate that, mate. Uh, yeah, so this, I think this was this was a poem that I wrote quite a, a long time after the breakup with this this first love of my life. I think it was just sort of like I'd hit a point where I was I'd gone through you know a, a long time of just sort of messing around and, and sort of trying to sort of like uh, cloak my feelings in, in sort of alcohol and drugs and stuff and just sort of gen- generally being a bit. A bit silly and I guess maybe I got to a point after all of that where I was trying to trying to work out why you know because mm. um, when we broke up it was just you know we, we'd, we'd been together for sort of about two two and a half years it, there wasn't really it was odd because there wasn't really a particular reason why it happened and I think that made it a lot harder I mean like the older you get you just realize that that, that just happens but when you're 21 or whatever and just like head over heels and then someone I mean it wasn't even really just her it was both of us that just sort of um we're still in love with each other but just we didn't really feel like we should be together anymore it's really a very hard thing to do to, mm. to come to terms with and then we changed our minds and then we changed our minds again and um it, yeah I mean if it would have been way easier if one of us had just done something shitty and I don't know cheated on on the other or something like that because at least then you have a reason for it um and when it's just this sort of like vague 
mutual agreement that it doesn't sort of feel right anymore but you still love each other like it's just it's complete it's complete it's a mess yeah. <laughs> what are you supposed to do with that yeah yeah uh, i mean the only choice i felt like i had was just to just to go down and go down the, the pub and, and, and try and drown it in booze and um and so i guess at this point here i'd got a bit sick of doing all that and i was i was trying to analyze the like unanalyzable i don't think that's a word but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Trying to make sense of it. And um, yeah. So yeah, the book sort of the poem talks about yeah, hiring a detective to do the, the job for me because uh, I've got no idea. And mm. just, yeah, I guess sort of in the poem, I sort of talk about all, all the, all the good bits, all the, the great stuff, the stuff I re still remember. And obviously like the, the, like the, yeah, you know, the, the bare bones of the poem is that we're not together anymore, obviously. So it's sort of like, you know, trying to say, you know, there was all of this, all of this good. Now, well, how did it end up this way? And um, yeah, I think it was just a poem, like just, just purely written in confusion and desperation, really. Yeah, um, I, I did enjoy that. It's, it's almost like an extended metaphor, isn't it? The, the detective. It, it reminded me because, like you said, when a relationship, even when a straightforward breakup happens, mm. I think it's human instinct to just start going back through it. And I always think of the end of a relationship as like a plane wreckage when they go through the wreckage and they're trying to yes. figure out, you know, find the black box, what happened here. Oh, if only um, there was a black box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For each but, relationship, that'd be easy. But the the sort of detective that you start off with in that poem sort of reminded me of that process. Um, mm. But you're, you're dead right, man. Like when you get old older maybe like late 20s early 30s it's kind of you kind of realize it is pointless going back through that process mm -hmm. because it, it is you know it's a done deal now and i think that was one of the hardest lessons for me to learn about relationships is that you know pe that people can change at any minute for any mm -hmm. unknown reason they they can change and that you know there's very little you can do really um, yeah I mean, how are, we, how are you ever supposed to come to terms with that, really? It's such a, yeah, it's, you know, like in life, we, we need things to be kind of categorized to some extent, you know, mm -hmm. even if it's not neatly. And when you when you have to sort of swallow that pill, it's like, well, fuck it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't uh, seem reasonable, but OK. <laughs> I, I love even as, you know, two poets, that's that's how we we they're the best words we can come up for. Yeah, But you're just, right. You're spot on. <laughs> I can't think of any better way to express it, really. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm with you 100 percent on that one. The next poem I was going to talk to you about is called Hold Fast. Mm. And I thought there was a really powerful line in that. Um, we're all just blood and clockwork which again was uh, like first read I was like that's that's an amazing line and then when I thought about it I was like it's also kind of depressing <laughs> 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 like I am just a ticking clock made of blood so, but yeah I thought I thought that was a, a great line um, mm. hold fast yeah um yeah definitely so this one when I was it's, it's another one about relationships but this was like this was a relationship that was I mean, it was it was important to me because the person is still important to me, you know, still a friend. Um, but it's it's someone that I was sort of with on and off a couple of years after this the big relationship broke broke off. Um, so it was it's somebody that was in my my friendship group back home, and and we both sort of we're into each other, but we're in similar situations. So she, you know, she she'd also been with with a guy who they've been together a long time. It broken up, and 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 we sort of both kind of just sort of drifted into each other's lives and um and and you know sort of spent spent some nice time together but like repeatedly kept doing stupid shit to each other you know like mm. 
as much as we liked each other, we were clearly exploiting each other to feel better about ourselves and worked for a while and then it hurt one of us and and we kept going back back and forth doing that for a long time to the point where you know we almost sort of like messed up our friendship thankfully we managed to to sort of finish it all off and step aside and, and, and remain friends but um yeah so this was written at that point when I mean for a long time I was just really cynical and yeah definitely I mean sort of <laughs> a lot of the stuff I've written at that point is it is a bit depressing it's really it's a bit miserable but it's the way I was feeling at that point you know I was like I was in that in that state of mind where I was I was looking for somebody that I would feel as strongly about as I'd felt about my my first girlfriend. I wasn't finding that person anywhere. I didn't know where to look. Just felt really sort of lost and I didn't like who I was, the way I was acting. And it was, yeah, definitely just like a proper sort of a release of like all of the, yeah, the way I was thinking at that point. Like, you know, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm behaving this way. I'm going to continue to behave this way. I'm being a selfish asshole, but this is who we are. You know, we just, we just run like clockwork. We just, we just, you know, like we, we, we have our instincts, we have our desires. We just do this same, you know, that's, that's the way that we, that we behave. I mean, that's not necessarily true of everybody, but that's how I felt at the time that that's yeah. how we are, that we're nothing particularly special. You know, we're just creatures of instinct and, and you know we're just gonna behave this way and like feel good because we want to feel good and treat people badly because it makes us feel better and then regret it and yeah you know definitely not some not a period I was proud of at all but um I, I suppose maybe this poem is in a way like a, a confession maybe it was a way of me trying to say look put because I used to put them out on like Facebook and, and the internet and stuff to some of my friends a lot of my friends would read them or I would do like little poetry nights and stuff. So people would hear them. Mm. And I suppose it was a way of me just trying to say, look, I know, I know I'm like this right now. You know, don't worry about it. I know I'm acting like an arsehole. Um, fully aware of it. So, you know, I'm sorry, but this is just how I am <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, guess, I guess it was maybe that, you know, um, it's a long time ago, but I feel like looking back at it, that was probably what, what I was trying to do with this one. Yeah. No, it's just uh, like, Though I said it is depressing, it's it's still a very powerful image. So it reminds me of that idea. I guess the only reason we think we are special, like people in general, is because we we have the ability to think we are special. Like you know, an an elephant or a tortoise doesn't think they're special. They just they do exist, like like you say, like clockwork. And I guess that is the only difference between us and anything else in like on this planet. But we're not really that special. Are we? we are, but we aren't. Like, yeah, exactly. we need to we need to get over ourselves. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, uh, but yeah, yeah that, exactly. No, I enjoyed that poem. Titans is another one I, I enjoyed. Uh, I think there was some some wicked imagery in that one. It's really sharp imagery as well. The, the line I really enjoyed: "Our shotgun tongues screamed shrapnel." Um, and I think the ending was, is one of your very powerful endings. That, but from ruin, lost gods are reborn. That's a, it's a wicked ending. That that's a mic drop ending, as I was. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you, mate. <laughs> Appreciate that. This was me looking back many years later at that. Yeah, that famous first relationship that, that seems to inform uh, almost all of these poems. I think that it's, I think at this point, we'd, we'd like, we'd spent a long time not speaking to each other and very, it was very awkward for a long time, very difficult. And I think that we'd got to a point where we'd become friends again, or we were sort of 
seeing each other from time to time again and um and so obviously she'd come back into my thoughts and I think that I was I remember that we we got close again because she had some some tough times with her family and so she she came back to me because I I was somebody that she that she knew very well and that she trusted and she knew she could talk to me and um, and so we we were getting closer it was making me obviously nostalgic about how things were before and I was having to try and remind myself that you know this isn't gonna happen again mm. but in my head I was also obviously not I wasn't doing a great job of reminding myself of that because at the same time I was also like maybe this will happen again yeah um, but I was also you know not the greatest person at this time so I was like well you have to try and be moral about this it's not really reasonable to you know she's coming to you for help and I guess it was yeah I mean nothing did happen with us like I did succeed in in you know, stopping myself from from trying to take things any further with her again but it was I think it was just yeah this was me trying to just sort of write about how you know things were great things you know there's, there's lots of stuff that I remember that I really really enjoyed but um but ultimately you know this is it's in the past this mm. is that, that we've that we've done we've been through and as much as I would absolutely love it to to happen again um it's, it's something that shouldn't repeat itself and yeah. I, guess I was trying to write you know I mean this is maybe like when I look at these the poems in this book like this is one that well, firstly, there aren't any swear words, which is rare with me because I used to write, I used to put a lot of swearing in them, or like you know, quite a lot of cynical stuff in a lot of the other poems. And this one, it's mainly quite nice, like yeah. And I think maybe that was that was what I was trying to do. I'd spent a lot of time writing poems, you know, where I was pissed off at her or pissed off at the situation, or writing about you know all kinds of other stuff, sort of having one night stands and stuff. And I think I just wanted to write like a nice poem again it was a bit nostalgic but a bit bittersweet as well just to yeah. sort of kind of do do justice to to the relationship that had sort of messed me up for a long time yeah I wanted to write something sort of to 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 honor that in a way I guess yeah that makes sense it's almost like when the the red mist has sort of descended a little bit and the dust has settled you do sort of think you know I'm still not happy about it but there were some good points like yeah uh, there were some beautiful moments and I, I think now with a bit of context that poem which is why I love asking about poems like the the titans is a great title for it because it's almost like if it was the rekindling of this big relationship not the relationship but two people that were in it are, back it's almost like I've got this sort of image of two like Godzilla people in a, in the arena again and it's like they're testing each other and our shotgun tongue screams shrapnel I mean the shrapnel image is doubly powerful now with that context because you think right well you know there's the, the sound of their voice or the way they say things or when you exchange a conversation probably did flare up little pangs of pain like because you remembered oh I loved the little squint in your eye or I loved it when you used to, used to talk about these things that mm. must have been um yeah, it's a, it's a it's a situation everyone dreads, but secretly love part of it. Like when you see an ex, I guess. Yeah, and they become a bit involved again. No, it's cool. I did enjoy that poem. Thank you, mate. Appreciate it. Last one I was going to ask you about uh, is Lane Lane End, uh, mm. which I feel, you know, having read the book, I would put this down as a uh, a classic Steve Head style poem. You know, there's a real. <laughs> There's a real sort of sense of place in this poem and, and that loss as well that, that you were talking about. I think this is one of the poems where you get a, bit, a sense of sort of loss with, throughout this, you know, and again, another mic drop ending. You chose a beautiful day to go. It's just short and powerful to, to sort of that note to end the poem on. Mm. 
yeah this this is definitely this is one of my favorites that i've ever written um it's really this is like a really it was one that i wrote literally in about uh, probably about half an hour just just sort of while i was at work actually um mm. it was it's about my my grandma dying the grandma that lived in the isle of Wight, the one with the house so this was written the day after and um i'd gone to work i was you know i was obviously pretty very sad but i'd gone to work anyway because it seemed like the thing to do try and distract myself and um it wasn't like it was a big shock you know my, my nan was she was ill for a while um so it was it was expected but it still you know obviously it sort of hit me very hard so she was she was far away she was down in the isle of Wight, and my mum had gone down to to, to go sort of deal with stuff and um i was still up where i live near london um working and i worked in a worked in a, a play group um i was like a yeah a sort of teacher's assistant in a play group for a while. and um, i was on my break and i was sitting there and it's on a, an estate near where i lived and it was just like a I was sitting there on my lunch break and just sort of looking around and it was a sunny day, a little bit cold and just kind of felt very like enormously moved by the, by the moment. Mm. And it's very, very difficult to sort of really put into words, but I just felt really close to my land, you know, like I really felt at that point, that calm wind, calm little breeze blowing through the trees and stuff and like a sort of cold September sun. There was just yeah there was just this moment of like real intimacy and, and feeling almost like she was right right next to me mm. and i just wanted to yeah like i just sat down and i uh, had a bit of paper probably a crayon because i was in a play group i think i even had a pen and um and just and just wrote this down just came like came out of me in 30 minutes yeah so that's the you chose a beautiful day to go it was just um just just trying to put into words how i felt at that point and i think i really like grieved for her later but this was maybe just like the maybe this was the first step, you know. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't cried up to that point. It'd been the day before, and I've never been particularly good with grief. Like I've, yeah, I, I've never really known particularly how to deal with it. And um, often it's like held back for a, later on, you know, and it will manifest in a different way. Yeah. Um, and at this point, it was like, yeah, it just came out in this poem. Well, I, I loved the opening, which is something I was drawn to it's only been a few hours but i already look for you in all things because i guess i guess i liked that opening for two reasons because similar to what you just said there like grief grief for me is, is is a weird one as well because if if i'm not immediately struck uh, by sadness i do sort of think am i i'm, I'm supposed to be sad now like and then i start <laughs> i start looking for things to try and make me sad which is ridiculous but it's done mm. in like a bit of a panic and then as, as you said I will genuinely get sad about it a little bit later. Perhaps it's almost like delayed. Perhaps it's some form of, I don't know, like PTSD in the moment or whatever. I don't know. But um, I also liked it because the, the second reading from that opening I kind of took was an excuse to bring him up. But the, the Heathcliff sort of view of it where, you know, like where he, he talks about the world being a museum of memoranda to Kathy and like, mm. where, where, like, ridiculous things that you would never have associated with someone you then start associating with them when, when you're experiencing loss like it could be mm. a, a brand of pen that they used to use for their crossword or mm -hmm. you know like someone using a beer mat and just things you overlook but I guess hey. I got I got those mm. two sort of readings from that opening and I, like I was instantly invested I was like oh, shit I feel like that too that's cool 
Oh, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, like, like the like one of the later lines, like the TV being far too loud. Any, yeah. any, any time I heard a loud TV for months, I had tears in my eyes because it was just that was what like, I associated that com- completely with her because she's just you. I just had so many memories of sitting in her living room while we're all sitting around watching TV and it just being like unbearably loud, and she would just keep putting it up another three notches, another three notches to the point where like the neighbors three doors down could hear it but like yeah. and we were we were just deaf mm. but she was you know we couldn't handle it anymore but she was keep kept putting it up so yeah <laughs> just with one of those little things that, that stuck with me um, yeah and there's something magical about i think you know just when the poetry comes and it just it only takes like half an hour and it's mm. such a, it's such a weird thing to write poetry because you can spend months toiling over one poem and moving commas and line breaks and you mm. never feel you've got it right. But then equally there's times like this where it seems to just pour out the pen and it takes very little editing because it, it's, I guess yeah. it's because it's come from a certain place perhaps. It's really odd. It, um, I, I find that probably about half of the time when I, of, of like the, all the poems I've written, probably about half of them, I've just sat down and it's just come out and I've maybe changed a word here or there. And then there'll be the other half where I'll struggle for like weeks, months. And I don't, I've tried to understand why that is, you know, it's not necessarily that like the ones that come straight out are because I felt stronger emotion for those ones. Um, it's, there's no like particular rule or anything. It's just, it's weird. It happens to me. I, the only thing I could, I mean, it's like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if this makes any sense at all, but like, you know that, you know that feeling when you know that you're going to throw up yeah right yeah like sometimes uh, if i'm if i know a poem's coming i'll often get not that feeling but they'll just be they'll just be a fit like i'm not i don't like write and, and vomit at the same time constantly that, that would be awful yeah i'd be very traumatic but no but like there's just this i just get this like feeling like grab a pen sit down and it just it just happens it's really weird um mm. i don't know if it's just my brain knowing that it's the right moment but um but that, yeah that's that's happened to me on enough occasions that it doesn't seem to be a coincidence and I don't I can't really explain it I wonder if well, our brains have a way of like forming you know poems or, or or something creative in our head already and it's sat there and it just sort of comes to the fore but yeah the closest comparison I can think of is, is, is that, that that feeling when you know that you've got to run for the yeah (laughs) (laughs) i got this this image of you throwing up now and just looking into the the vomit like tea (laughs) like tea leaves to see where the poem poem (laughs) it's not a very pretty metaphor sorry but (laughs) could could have gone with like when a sneeze is coming (laughs) oh mate yeah you're right you can edit that out if you want (laughs) should i should i say a sneeze one instead no i'm absolutely keeping the vomit (laughs) (laughs) Okay. <laughs> yeah no I think you're right though like there probably are already quite fully formed ideas in your head as you were talking about that I was thinking about you know all the time I spend walking or on public transport when I don't have uh, like a, a pen and paper or I'm just for whatever not reason like not writing it on my phone there's often like thoughts that I come back to and like then just do nothing with and then one day I guess you're right it probably does just come out in in a poem mm. it can't be coincidence I think you're right there yeah, you know that it should fit in a certain place in a poem that you've already written, or yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, like that, like a line that just sits there for ages and then suddenly comes alive, and you're like, oh yeah, I'll use it there. So I always used pen and paper because I was some sort of edgy 
indie kid <laughs> thinking yeah man like fuck technology yeah uh, but then you know as everyone does i succumb to the, the the technological advances and i started using my notes and i've had notes on my phone since probably like towards the end of uni so what 2013 14 something like that and about two months ago bear in mind there was there's poems that i'm still working on that are on there it's gone everything's gone just just wow. wiped like years worth of notes oh um, so i i'm completely back on pen and paper because i'm not having that again Jim, um, that, that hurts me physically i'm sorry about <laughs> that <laughs> but, yeah right, honestly and i can't i've i've spent hours googling it going on like apple forums i've checked the cloud and then mm. the, the cloud had like six notes on there so i've i've got them one of them was a poem luckily it makes me think of um hemingway there's a story like that with him. His, his, his wife, he'd written like a, an entire novel or something. And he asked his wife to bring the notes to him on the train because he wasn't where he oh, oh, no. And she, yeah, I think she, I think she, she lost him when we got stolen. So, so there's like a whole Hemingway novel that's just gone. That's... So yeah, that, that, you just compared you to Hemingway. There you go. Mate. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, that's better than the scene. I had the scene from Love Actually in my head where his papers go flying in the lake. Ah, yeah, that was yeah, yours, yours, yours is much more literary, so we'll go with that one. We'll go with that one. <laughs> All right, nice. Right, I've got the uh, the sort of the classic people poetry podcast quick fire questions at the end. Mm-hmm. Does doesn't mean you've got to rush through them. I just call them the quick fire questions. No, yes, because it sounds uh, cool. I like it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly that age old question for you personally. You, when is it time to walk away from a poem or to to put it to bed? Uh, yes, yeah, so that's that's. I mean, having listened to all of your podcasts previously, this is the one question I was dreading because I honestly have no idea. I don't have an answer to it. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, uh personally, I honestly don't know. Like, it just, I just get a feeling, I guess that. Um, but then that feeling can be completely wrong. I can mm. then come back to that poem a couple of weeks later and be like, "What? What's? Why? Why did I think this was any good? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like, I need to change all of this." Um, but I don't know when. There's, there's a fair few of mine now that I'm just completely good with. I really don't have like a, like a, a usable answer. Like I can't give any advice on that at all. I just, I just sort of, I just feel it, I guess. I don't know. It's really, yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, obviously there's the thing like if you've gone over a poem for just like weeks and months, like, at one, like give yourself a break, like it's probably done. Like, you know, if you really can't see that there's too much to change with it maybe that's how it's supposed to be um, yeah um and then, it, yeah. equally what you just said makes sense like i think every poet has that you you read back a poem you've written on some days and you think this is brilliant like put that away they're gonna send that off try and get that in a magazine or something oh, yeah you, you go yeah. to submit and you go like what the fuck is this like, <laughs> <laughs> and then it, it goes to the bottom of the pile but then you know it's a couple of months later you're like oh, i forgot about this one this is a good one um because mm. i did it all the time like if, if i'm gonna recite some poetry and you know you've sort of only got three or four in your time slot mm. constantly change i've got you know one sound man it's the only one i'm like right we'll do that at the end and then the others they change all the time because depending on how i'm feeling so yeah I, mm. I think i think your answer is completely valid don't don't undersell your response oh, cheers mate well it can go the other way as well there's been poems where i've been like this is the best thing i've ever done and yeah. i'll share it with like a mate or somebody else and they'll be like this is shit <laughs> so, so i'm like well okay I, don't, I probably shouldn't even trust my instincts what do i do <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, no, I've had a lot of that. <laughs> so you've written a poem, you've you've put it in a drawer, you've given yourself a break, but you you know you want to edit it. What would be the first thing for you personally that you do as part of your editing process? Um, yeah, I would I would get it out, and I think almost everybody says this, but it's definitely what I do. I would read it out loud, definitely, mm-hmm. and um, probably record myself reading it onto my phone or something, and then listen to that back on headphones. I need everything to be out loud. That is such a good shout. I've never done that. I've read it out loud, but I've never like, oh. physically recorded it and listened to That is yeah. such a good shout. It's because you're so analog and old school, mate. Like, you're <laughs> Mr. Pen and Paper. Yeah. I'm trying to press it on vinyl to play back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I might do that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Honestly, it really, it really helps because obviously, like the reading it out loud, I mean, you're you're hearing it but you're, you're hearing it coming out of your own mouth so it's like it's very instant but then mm. when you listen listen back to it as well I think it really helps with with the rhythm definitely but there's just when I listen back to it I you know I feel like I, I can very clearly hear like if a word doesn't fit or or if yeah like the the, the rhythm the, the cadence and the line isn't quite right um for that though like I would probably record it a couple of times because it could just be down to my delivery so i'll do yeah. maybe like two or three listen back to them and then sort of take an average um but yeah i've always needed that if i sit and look at just a bit of paper or a screen i mean i'll do that later but i always need to start by having it out loud definitely. yeah 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 and to know it's just the way my brain works i think no it makes total sense especially it would be interesting to see if you know you stumbled over the same like you said word you've recorded it like three times you think right well that clearly is a bit clunky i need to change that see look eight series in and i'm still getting top tips off of, hey, off of poets. there we go and then the, the the big one the big loaded one that i'm sure sure you knew was coming of course yeah we're sat here we've had this chat and lovely it's been too about poetry but it is 2022 there's lots of people TikToking and whatnot there's other things out there <laughs> but poetry is yeah. still here why do you think the UK and the you know the rest of the world uh, have this love affair with poetry still. One thing that connects us, well, there's many things that connect us for many many similar things. So there's we all, you know, we all fall in love, we all lose people, we all mourn, we all feel happy, we all you know we're, we're connected by our experiences and our emotions. It's very you know across the, you know the entire world. I think we're very similar in in those in those ways and. We don't necessarily have, like, I think we need ways to put them into words and ways to express them because when you think about it, like emotions and, 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 and like trauma and things that happen in your life, they're, they're huge. You know, it's what sends people off to sort of psychiatrists and counselors and stuff. This is a big deal. We need a way to, to analyze them, to categorize them, to compartmentalize them. And I think that poems do a great job of that in the same way as prayers do or songs do and I think that there's no it's no coincidence that poems I mean obviously there's different lengths to everything but like poems prayers songs letters speeches often are all sort of like a similar kind of or they're often like a similar kind of length you know like um and I think that we it it really helps us to be able to yeah look at something short or listen to something short ish you know that will sum up in how we're how we're feeling what we're dealing with yeah i don't know maybe maybe there's something 
I don't know, maybe it's linked to like speech patterns, you know, like maybe we, we sort of, if you looked at how long in a conversation you speak, you know, you say you speak for a certain amount of time and then somebody else speaks, maybe there's something in it, like that when it comes down to like the length of poetry and it just sort of, I don't know, it, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to give a clever answer. And I know what I want to say, but I can't really, I'm not sure if I'm putting it across well. I just feel that, yeah, ultimately poetry, it's just like, we're very busy people. We've got lots going on in our lives and we need a way to be able to deal with stuff that's going on. And it helps when somebody else has experienced that same thing and they've put it into the words that you can't find yourself and you can just look at that thing. And yeah, there you go. So um, we need to, we need to understand ourselves and we don't always have the tools to do that. So yeah, no, I fully agree. Like, it's those communal experiences and it's the, the commonality between them, I guess, that 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 makes it so appealing. And certainly sitting here chatting to you today and talking about, you know, the things that influenced your poetry and, and you know, how you use writing to to help you through those those traumatic events within your life and just, you know, the, the, the things... That, not necessarily traumatic events, but the normal things that happen in people's lives as well. I think that's why it's interesting sitting and talking to poets. When I when people say, "Oh, you do a podcast. What what is it about?" I say poetry. They go, oh. "I said, well, yeah, it is about poetry, but it's also about you know mental health and loss and love and we're just oh, yeah. two people chatting. That's how I sell it, and I, that's how I try to convert people into poetry because then they go, "Oh, it's just two people chatting," and they'll go, "Oh, do you know that episode with Steve? I, I had a breakup like that." And that's when I'm like, yes, I've got them. But yeah, no, I think you're right. It is that that shared shared experiences that we forget. I think we are quick to think we're the only ones who have experienced or lived through that or felt that way. So yeah. that when, when you read it and it reaffirms that sort of personal identity, I guess, doesn't it? What really blew my mind the most was during the pandemic. Um, I hadn't written poetry for a long time, um, up until 2020. I'd been mm. writing, writing other stuff and doing other stuff. And then when that all kicked in, I started writing a lot um about about that about what was going on and doing putting stuff on instagram and little, with little videos like doing spoken word stuff and um i had so many people that you know from that i went to school with or um just that i knew from back home or like family members and stuff who i knew for a fact would never really have probably like had any interest in poetry at all um and then they were all sort of, you know, like, like getting involved with it and really enjoying it. And, and um, like it sparked up plenty like conversations with people I hadn't spoken to for ages. And, um, and I think it was, yeah, it was literally just that they were going through this weird thing that we were all going through. And I'd, I had a means of sort of trying to put that into words. Mm. And, um, and, I, and I think that that like, they like that they enjoyed they, they connected to that yeah and um yeah that's that's why that's why i gave the answer i did because i think it, it really came from that i was like oh this is wicked like um, i really loved that i was like there's people i knew would be into it and that was great and then there was just all these other people i was like wow i can't believe that you that you that you you dug that that you, that you were into that that's really cool that's a great point though you you bring up though that covid it was obvious that we were all in the same boat that was an experience we definitely all no matter mm. you know it, it sort of broke down i mean there were still elements of class say that that affected it you know people arguably from uh, the upper class probably had some outdoor areas in that first strict lockdown and it mm -hmm. was a little bit easier than perhaps your working class living in a high rise but regardless of class or ethnicity everybody was to some extent in in the same 
same position, weren't they? That's a, yeah. that's a very that's a very good point. And when when can you say that really? Like, I mean, it's, it was just like a first, you know, like the fact that we like the, the entire world in the in, in the same boat is. is it's not. I was yeah. talking about this the other day, just the phrase lockdown, the fact that we lived through lockdown. It's such an aggressive mm. sounding, uh, <laughs> it's almost like the purge or something, isn't it? Like, <laughs> it's so much like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> we, we survived lockdown, lockdown one, lockdown two, but yeah, a yeah. mad time. So what uh, what's the plan now? Obviously you've mentioned another collection. Is poetry what you're working on now? Or I think I've seen that you, you've posted before you write, writing a lot of prose, I think at one point, weren't you? Yeah, I've um I've written a novel, um which I'm still editing, like which years, is a, amazing, an amazing achievement to write a novel. So congrats! Thank you, mate. I appreciate that. Thank you. It's yeah, it's taken a long, long time, mm. um, and I'm still, <laughs> you know, we're talking about leaving a poem alone, like leaving a novel alone, <laughs> mate. It's just an absolute, absolute headbug. Um, so I'm I, I need to like now. I'm literally just switching commas around and like you know changing a little word here and there but that um I've got a mate who's done me a cover for that and um literally now it's just a case of putting those things together and I'm going to try and get that out at some point um this year um yeah I'm just cracking on with the poetry I'd love to I really enjoy doing like little videos and stuff that I've been putting on Instagram with the poems so I'll yeah carry on with that it's pretty fun and then yeah as for like poetry collection I don't really know like what will what I'll do next but I, I I know that like as I was saying before um I'm really really like the project I'm most into is writing about yeah my old hometown I just I love it I love it for the nostalgia I love it for just like the memories I chat to my to my mates about you know like stories you know oh do you remember that time when we were at the pub and um there's just so much there's so much potential so many things I want to write about and it's it's great because I just get to chat to my mates about it and reminisce and and I really I really I feel like I'm in a slightly unique position not unique there's other people like it but like I the fact that I'm here and I'm sort of missing this place like there's maybe like a an interesting perspective you know to like write about about that sort of the suburbs but from yeah um and yeah it's it just fascinates me and I'll, I'll sit there on Google Street View and just sort of like flick my way through like little roads that I used to walk down on my way to, you know, the gym or the bar or whatever. It's, it's strange, nostalgia. <laughs> I love it, you know, it's great. Yeah. Um, and it's just this super strong connection to, to a place that I might, I mean, I will go back there, but it's, my life there is probably done, but I just can't let go of it. It's, yeah. Uh, everything you're saying resonates 100 percent um yeah i think nostalgia nostalgia there's some beautiful parts to it but there's also some kind of painful parts to it sometimes as well like mm. yeah but no i love that i well looking forward to reading it i'll definitely let me know when the novel's out because i will definitely read that i do uh do like a good novel where can people find you your work or um blueprints if they want to buy a copy um so i'm mainly put stuff on instagram under steve writes so steve w-r-i-t-e-s i don't do anything on twitter i've got one, <laughs> i've got one but i just i just i just don't because if i go on there i get annoyed at politicians and stuff and i want to tweet them and, and, I, and i don't so i avoid twitter facebook 
gave up on that. Mainly just Instagram, really. Instagram's um, where it's at. Yeah. Instagram where it's at. And I still haven't TikToked, like you mentioned earlier. I, I'm not sure if I'll ever TikTok, to be honest. Me neither. No. I don't think anyone wants to see me TikToking. So I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll leave that to the, to the, to the young <laughs> Um And then, yeah, for the book, it's, um, it's on Amazon. Blueprints. You search Blueprint Steve Head, I think. Yeah. That should work. Otherwise, send me an Instagram message and I've got quite a few copies. I can send one. Send one off. Perfect. Well, it's been amazing to actually chat face to face, even though it's via Zoom. Yeah. Um, thank you for being a real so, pleasure. so open and honest. It's been fun. And I, I guess I have to thank again, Charlie and Jake for bringing us together because, you know, that's what, what they're doing is wicked. So it's Charlie and Jake. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. they're awesome. Yeah, they are. Cool. Thank you so much. Thank you, mate. Real pleasure. People's Poetry Podcast. Steve kindly recited his poem, In the Long Grass. In the long grass, out in the fields at the edge of town, behind the estate with its high-rise spires and ordered sprawl of red brick homes, and windswept streets where we'd kick off with the roughneck local kids over dubious ball-game scorelines, and lay talking about our school-time awkward adolescent fumble at the end of the playing field and then regrettably not much more times with the sun overhead and our heads in our hands, staring up into blue skies and power lines and the whole humming blur of it all, so glaringly present in moments that never felt momentous until later recalled. Just minutes and hours in the long grass and flowers, turning red in the sunshine, feeling five miles tall. And then again in the long grass, cut in rows that concealed us from the unwelcome gaze of a town that we'd spent 18 years trying to leave. Just smoking our wages and wasting our summers rum drunk in the streets. Beneath the weight of the change that we all knew was coming, that we heard from a distance like a fast-moving train and felt on our skin like the wind before rain. And though we hit the ground running, we could never outrun it. So we lay in the long grass, in the late afternoon, as the sun dragged our shadows through the Hertfordshire clay, and waited for lives that would come for us soon, and slowly but surely cut our old lives away. So many years later, after falling so far, we walked in that long grass and talked for hours about the past and how the present connected to those helium days when we floated above it all, high on the haze, how we burned ever brighter, like fields set ablaze, and how the heat beat incessantly, stripped the wings from our shoulders, sent us spiralling downwards into drinks that consoled us and jobs that controlled us, until a decade had passed and left us 20 years older. So we came back to all that we'd once left behind, to the places that rippled like wrinkles in time, that somehow remained undisturbed and unchanged, like lines on the palm of a hand. And now far from the long grass, living rainy day plans, I find I'm thinking more often about all of those moments that we spent gazing skywards. All those hours I soared before life made me heavy and time made me a man. 
We are slow-burning comets on a course round the sun. But I am stuck staring backwards at the trail I have left and the things I have done. So when our lives leave us empty and the world has derailed, I will think of the long grass where we lay and believed that our dreams would prevail. My thanks to the wonderful poets that featured this episode. A huge shout out to Charlie and Jake for all of the magical musical sounds you've heard throughout the podcast. Go and check out more of their work over on their Instagram at Charlie and Jake Music and on Twitter they're at Charlie and Jake too. A massive thank you as always to you at home for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please do share it with a friend. You can find us on Instagram at People's Poetry Podcast, over on Twitter at People underscore Poetry. You can find us on Facebook, People's Poetry Podcast. I'm on Twitter, jbo, that's J-B-O, Pens Poems. And you can email us if you want to get involved with the show, if you're a poet yourself and you'd like to sit down and chat, or social media just don't cut the mustard and you want to get in touch, it's People's Poetry Podcast at hotmail.com. You are listening to the People's Poetry Podcast with me, Jimmy Bowman. Today's guest, I'm joined by the wonderfully prolific... People's Poetry Podcast.